Welcome to Clinical Neurology Podcast where you will learn over 12 episodes how to localize a lesion in neurology based on history taking and physical examination. The podcast is meant for medical students and to make them enjoy learning neurology. Medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, critical care, neurology residents, general practitioners and nurse practitioners will find it beneficial. Study materials and clinical resources for the podcast are available in show description and at neurologyteachingclub.com website. I am your host Dr. Krishnadas NC and let's get started. In this episode, we will learn the anatomy and localization of the brainstem lesions. The anatomy of the brainstem is often considered as difficult by medical students. In this episode, we will try to learn the brainstem anatomy from a clinical angle. We will discuss clinical cases from the midbrain pons and medulla and learn the anatomy of the brainstem around these cases. All students should know how to draw the midbrain pons and medulla. We should also try to draw the lesion site on the brainstem diagram whenever we encounter a case. Please go through the images of the brainstem given on our website neurologyteachingclub.com. Students need not study all the syndromes described here. All of them are discussed to understand the anatomy of the brainstem better. At the end of this session, we will be able to draw the anatomy of midbrain pons and medulla, localize a lesion on the brainstem from clinical features, and tell the various brainstem clinical syndromes. While studying the anatomy of the brainstem, it is helpful to remember the rule of four of the brainstem. This includes, the brainstem has four midline or medial structures beginning with M, namely, motor pathway or corticospinal tract, medial lemniscus, medial longitudinal fasciculus, and motor nuclei and nerves. The brainstem has four lateral structures beginning with S, including, spinocerebellar tract, spinothalamic tract, sensory nucleus of trigeminal nerve and sympathetic tract. There are four cranial nerves in the medulla, four in the pons and four above the pons. The four cranial nerves in the medulla are 9, 10, 11 and 12. Four in the pons are 5, 6, 7 and 8. Four above the pons are 3 and 4 in midbrain and 1 and 2 above in the brain. For example, let us take the case of medulla. A medial medulla contains the four M, namely motor pathway or pyramidal tract, the medial lemniscus, which carries fine-touch joint positions from the opposite half of the body, the motor nuclei, which in medulla is the motor nuclei of 12th cranial nerve, and the medial longitudinal fasciculus. So, a medial infarct in the medulla will produce a medial medullary syndrome with weakness of opposite side due to pyramidal involvement, loss of posterior column sensation on the opposite side due to medial lemniscus involvement, and ipsilateral tongue palsy due to hypoglossal involvement. Please see the images on the website. The link is given in the show notes. Thus, knowing the rule of four helps us understand the anatomy of the brainstem and clinical features. Similarly, a lateral medullary lesion will involve the lateral spinothalamic tract, the long tract of the trigeminal nerve, the descending sympathetic tract and cranial nerve nuclei 9, 10 and 12, which we will discuss later. Midbrain Let us start with the midbrain. We will have a case first. A 60-year-old male presented with acute onset weakness of the left side with right-sided ptosis on getting up in the morning. On examination, he had right third cranial nerve palsy with left hemiparesis. Since the patient has a crossed hemiparesis with cranial nerve on one side and hemiparesis on the opposite side, the localization is in the brainstem. Since the right third cranial nerve is involved, the localization is in the right midbrain. This is the classical Weber syndrome where the third nerve fascicle and medial cerebral peduncle is affected in the anterior midbrain. The physical is the intraaxial part of the cranial nerve beyond the nucleus to the point it comes out of the brainstem and becomes extraaxial. The midbrain consists of the dorsal tectum containing the colliculi, the central tegmentum containing the ascending and descending tracts, 
and the ventrally located cerebral peduncles containing the corticospinal and corticopondine fibers. The corticospinal tract lies in the middle three-fifth of the cerebral peduncle. Fibers in the corticospinal tract are arranged somatotopically. The fibers distend to the arm are medial while the leg is lateral. The substantia nigra is a pigmented layer with melanin granules dorsal to the peduncle and ventral to the red nucleus. The trochlear nucleus is located in the ventral part of the central gray matter at the level of the inferior colliculus. The oculomotor nerve nucleus is located at the level of superior colliculus superior to the trochlear nerve. The midbrain is connected to the cerebellum through the superior cerebellar peduncle. The midbrain syndromes can be divided into ventral and dorsal. The ventral syndromes include Weber, Benedict, Claude and North Nagel. Perinode syndrome is the dorsal syndrome. Ventral or anterior midbrain syndromes. Weber syndrome. In Weber, the lesion is in the ventral midbrain involving the cerebral peduncle and third cranial nerve vesicle. The patient will have ipsilateral third cranial nerve palsy with opposite side hemiplegia. Benedict syndrome. The red nucleus is critical in the trauma pathway. A ventral midbrain lesion involving the red nucleus and third nerve vesicle will result in ipsilateral third nerve palsy with contralateral tremor called the Benedict syndrome. Some patients can have hemichoria or hemiathetosis also. North Nagel syndrome. A lesion involving the third cranial nerve vesicle and superior cerebellar peduncle will result in an ipsilateral third nerve with contralateral ataxia called North Nagel syndrome. The lesion site is more dorsal than in Benedict syndrome. Claude syndrome. A more extensive mesencephalic tegmental lesion involving both the red nucleus and superior cerebellar peduncle along with the third nerve vesicle will result in combination of Benedict and North Nagel called the Claude syndrome. The patient will have ipsilateral third nerve palsy with contralateral tremor and ataxia. Please see the schematic diagram on the website to understand these syndromes better. Dorsal or posterior midbrain syndrome a 12-year-old girl presented with headache and vomiting of two weeks duration. On examination, she had vertical gaze palsy, lid retraction, convergence retraction nystagmus, and light near dissociation. MRI brain showed a large pineal gland tumor compressing on the dorsal midbrain. This is the classical Paranaut syndrome. A dorsal, rostral midbrain lesion causes it. The vertical gaze palsy is due to the involvement of RIMLF and the interstitial nucleus of Kajal in the thalamo midbrain junction. The lid retraction and convergence retraction nystagmus are due to the loss of supranuclear inhibition to the third nerve nucleus. The light near dissociation is due to the damage of the pretectal nucleus or the decussating fibers of the pretectal nucleus in the posterior commissure. The pupillar reflux will be absent while the accommodation reflux will be present. The accommodation reflux is preserved because the accommodation pathway enters the edinger vestibule nucleus more ventrally. Students need to know the clinical features of dorsal midbrain lesions, which is a favorite multiple choice question for examinations. Discussion of each of these clinical features and their pathophysiology is beyond the scope of this episode. We have finished the various midbrain syndromes. Now try to draw the midbrain and mark the various midbrain syndromes, namely Weber, Benedict, North Nagel, Claude, and Paranaut. Once you do that, you know the anatomy of the midbrain. Pons. Once again, we will start with a case. A 70-year-old diabetic patient presented with right hemiparesis with diplopia and facial deviation to the right of one day duration. On examination, he had right hemiparesis with left element facial palsy and left lateral rectus palsy. This is the Millard-Gubler syndrome characterized by ipsilateral 6th and 7th cranial nerve palsy due to vesicular lesion with contralateral hemiplegia due to lesion in the ventral caudal pons in the basis pondis. The dorsal part of the pons is called the tegmentum and the ventral portion is the basis pondis. The pontine tegmentum is mainly composed of the pontine reticular formation, a rostral continuation of the medullary reticular formation. The basis pontis contains the pontine nuclei and multidirectional nerve fiber bundles. 
Cranial nerve nuclei in the pons include the nucleus of abducens nerve located in the dorsomedial pons just beneath the floor of the fourth ventricle. Fibers from this nucleus pass ventrally between the bundles of corticospinal tract fibers to exit at the pondomedullary junction. Ventromedial to the abducens nucleus is the paramedian pontine reticular formation or PPRF which plays an important role in horizontal gaze. The motor nucleus of the facial nerve is situated ventrolaterally. The fascicle of the 7th cranial nerve winds around the 6th nerve to form the facial colliculus on the floor of the 4th ventricle. The trigeminal nerve nuclei are located dorsolaterally as are the cochlear and vestibular nuclei. The pontine lesion can be divided into ventral, dorsal and lateral pontine lesions. Ventral or anterior pontine lesions The ventral pontine lesions include Millard-Gubler, Raymond's, Lackner syndromes and Locklin state, Millard-Gubler syndrome. A unilateral lesion in the basis pondis in the ventral caudal pons involving the 6th cranial nerve and 7th cranial nerve fascicle and corticospinal tract results in Millard-Gubler. The patient will have ipsilateral 6th and 7th cranial nerve palsy with contralateral hemiplegia. Raymond syndrome A lesion in ventral medial pons involving the 6th cranial nerve fascicle and corticospinal tract. The patient will have ipsilateral lateractus palsy with contralateral hemiplegia. Lacunar syndromes Small infarcts in the basis pondis can produce the lacunar syndrome similar to those described in the internal capsule lesion. Basis pondis lesions can produce pure motor hemiparesis, ataxic hemiparesis and dysarthria clumsy hand syndrome. Locked-in syndrome Bilateral extensive ventral pontine lesion produces a locked-in state. The etiology may be infarct, demyelination, central pontine myelinolysis, etc. The patient will have quadriparesis due to bilateral corticospinal tract involvement. The patient will have aphonia due to bilateral corticobulbar involvement. The patient will be fully conscious as the reticular activation system, located dorsally, is spared. The patient can communicate through eye blinks. Dorsal or posterior pontine lesions The dorsal pontine lesion includes Fowell syndrome and Raymond Sistan syndrome. Fowell syndrome Fowell syndrome occurs with a dorsal pontine tegmentum lesion in the lower third. The sixth and seventh cranial nuclei and corticospinal tract are involved. Due to corticospinal tract involvement, the patient will have contralateral hemiplegia with facial sparing. The patient will have an ipsilateral facial due to the nucleus or fascicle involvement and ipsilateral gaze palsy due to PPRF or abducens nucleus involvement. The PPRF is the horizontal gaze center which helps to look to the same side. So a patient with a right PPRF lesion will not be able to look to the right side. When asked to look to the right, the right eye will not abduct and left eye will not adduct. The gaze palsy differentiates Fowell syndrome from Millard-Gubler where there is only ipsilateral lateractus palsy due to 6th cranial nerve physical involvement. The supranuclear gaze palsies are a fascinating clinical discussion that requires a separate episode. I will try to make a bonus episode because it is beneficial in the clinical localization of brainstem lesion. Raymond Sistan syndrome The Raymond Sistan syndrome occurs with rostral lesions of the dorsal pons. The clinical features include ataxia with tremors due to involvement of the cerebellum, Contralateral hypesthesia occurs due to medial lemniscus and lateral spinothalamic tract involvement. Contralateral hemiparesis and ipsilateral gaze palsy can occur with ventral extension. Lateral pondyne lesion Mary Foyx syndrome This syndrome is seen with lateral pondyne lesions, especially those affecting the middle cerebellar pedangle. It includes ipsilateral cerebellar ataxia due to involvement of cerebellar pedangle, contralateral hemiparesis due to involvement of the corticospinal tract, and variable contralateral hemihypesthesia for pain and temperature due to involvement of the spinothalamic tract. Medulla The medullary syndromes can be divided into medial and lateral. Let us discuss a case. A 55-year-old gentleman presented with sudden onset vertigo and swaying to the right of one hour duration. He had hiccups and there was nasal regurgitation when he tried to drink water. 
he was brought to hospital immediately on examination he had right horner syndrome and decreased pain on the right side of the face and left side of the body his gag was depressed on the right side his power was normal and he had right sided cerebellar signs the mri brain showed a right lateral medullary infarct and the patient improved with thrombolysis the patient has a prototype lateral medullary syndrome otherwise called wallenberg syndrome most of the major tracts and nuclei lie in the lateral medulla it's easier to study what is not there in the medulla the rule of four tells us that the four m lies medially in the brainstem including the motor pathway or pyramidal tract motor nuclei of hypoglossal medial lemniscus and medial longitudinal fasciculus all the other long tracts and cranial nerve nuclei lie in the lateral medulla the involvement of vestibular nuclei results in vertigo the involvement of inferior cerebellar peduncle results in ataxia swallowing difficulty and nasal regurgitation are due to the nucleus ambiguus involvement and horner syndrome due to placentic sympathetic tract involvement the ipsilateral face hypalgesia is due to the spinal tract and nucleus of trigeminal nerve involvement the opposite side of the body pain and temperature involvement is due to the lateral spinothalamic tract involvement there can be an ipsilateral loss of taste due to the involvement of the nucleus of tractus solitarius the patient can also have several eye movement abnormalities including nystagmus skew deviation lateral pulsion etc submedullary syndrome of opelski when lateral medullary lesion extends downwards into the cervical cord ipsilateral crossed over corticospinal tract may be involved producing ipsilateral hemiplegia along with the lateral medullary syndrome it usually occurs with vertebral artery disease medial medullary syndrome of dejerine the rule of four tells us that the four m lies medially in the brainstem including the motor pathway or pyramidal tract motor nuclei of hypoglossal medial lemniscus and medial longitudinal fasciculus so a medial medullary syndrome produces opposite side weakness with loss of posterior column sensation and ipsilateral hypoglossal nerve palsy the mlf involvement can cause upbeat nystagmus occasionally hemimedullary syndrome of babinski negotte it is a combination of medial and lateral medullary syndrome that finishes this episode try to draw the medulla and mark medial and lateral medullary syndromes in the brainstem one usually gets excellent clinical imaging correlation and if you have examined properly your localization will be correct most of the time next time you see a patient try to draw the lesion before seeing the imaging identifying the accurate site of the lesion is more important than naming the syndrome thanks for listening to clinical neurology podcast kindly subscribe and review if you found it useful you can follow neurology teaching club instagram account for exclusive figures of this podcast and visit our website neurologyteachingclub.com for more resources the podcast and online content are meant for medical education only and should not be used to guide clinical decision making and treatment you can find more of this podcast on apple podcast spotify google podcast or wherever you get your ear candy It's Katie signing off and until we meet next time spread knowledge